Do you want to start a thriving real estate career, but don't know where and how to start? Do you want to become a successful realtor or investor, but lack the required knowledge and skills? Gear yourself up with the best and actionable advice here on The Real Estate Rundown. Tune in as Shannon Robnett talks with industry veterans about all kinds of asset classes, market trends, challenges, management techniques, and success stories. Listen to informative discussions with valuable tips that will serve as the foundation for your incredible real estate venture. Now, here's your host, Shannon Robnett. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 4 of the Real Estate Rundown. In today's episode, I got Reed Godson on the phone, and we're going to talk about what you do if you move halfway around the globe and start investing in real estate. See, Reed's journey brought him from Australia to New York City, no network, limited funds, to build a business out of nothing. And you're going to want to tune in to see what he's got to talk about, because we're going to discuss how to create a successful business ecosystem, how to make money entitling land, and how to develop an A-team that's going to help you with success. So with that, guys, help me welcome Reed to the show. Good morning, Reed. How are you? Good day, mate. Thanks for having me. So that's not a normal American accent. So what part of Australia are you from? I am from the Sunshine Coast, a place called Noosa. It's a very tourist town. It's in Queensland. Think of, if you've heard of Brisbane, about an hour and a half north of Brisbane. So yeah. My daughter spent uh, about six months in Mariucci Door. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. What, what yeah. was she doing up there? Uh, she was doing some missionary work. So nice. she was, yeah, she was hanging out down there and Richard beautiful, beautiful I, place. I actually uh, snuck over there, uh, surprised her over there. Yeah. That's not really something that's easy to do. You know, that's not just right around the corner, but what a beautiful place, man. Yeah, so it is. So you came to the States. What, I mean, why, why New York? So the, the reason is, is that I fell in love. I fell in love with twice. Uh, I fell in love with New York city and prior to moving to the States, I'd backpacked through the United States as sort of after uni, you sort of go on a, you know, a pilgrimage of checking out the world and seeing what you want to do with your life at, you know, 23, 24. And so, so fell in love with New York in 2009. I just said to myself, I need to live here at some point in the future. And at that same year that I was backpacking, I actually met my girlfriend, who's now my wife, Erica. She happens to be American. So we, I moved to the United States in early 2012 to chase her, but also to live in New York City. And, and the real, the goal was just to be an expat, you know, live here, get a job, you know, move home. That was really it. It was nothing more than that. I'd already been bitten by the real estate bug prior to moving to the, the US. But yeah, the, the US was such a, for me, it was more about just challenging myself to live in another country, right? To be an expat, to, to have a visa, to do all those great things. And, you know, my, my fear, sort of the fear of regret, I didn't want to wake up when I was 60 years of age and go, oh, I wish I'd moved to New York City. Um, yeah. And now fast forward 10 years later, talking about real estate. <laughs> so, now yeah. you're just hoping you wake up at 60 years of age, right? <laughs> exactly. exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it's funny though, Reed, because you're talking about you moved to New York and there's so many people in New York that want to move to Australia, right? I mean, everybody wants to go somewhere different. But when you got here, you, you said you were bitten by the real estate bug. I mean, what was different? What did you notice that was different between investing in, in, in the States and investing in Australia? And what were the nuances there of the difference? Yeah, look, uh, so I was bitten by the real estate bug prior to moving to the States. And I was sort of self-educating in Australia about fix and flipping and lease options, very common things that you would see here in the US. 
But when I got to the United States, when I got to New York City, I just I realized that the amount of networking, the opportunities to be surrounded by other people was, you know, on steroids compared to where I was from. I happened, you know, Brisbane happened to ha- have a very small property meetup event that was once a month and it just happened to be in my, in my, my city that I lived in. But nowhere else around the country did that have this sort of access to other investors who were doing deals and stuff like that. So moving to the States, moving to New York City, I think being fresh off the boat for two weeks, I was I was at my first REAR event, the Real Estate Investment Association. And as a newbie, I was just blown away with the, the amount of access to information. There was 200 other active investors there. I got to network with these people. It was the Big Apple. You know, it was just all these things that I just took from, you know, maybe the average American takes for granted, I was just like, wow, this is exactly where opportunity happens. Um, And then in terms of the nuances for real estate investing, New York City is like Australia. So think of Australia like, like Sydney, sorry, like, you know, New York, San Francisco, LA, like very high appreciation markets. And they don't, we don't have these secondary and tertiary markets like you do. So think of like Charlotte, you know, North Carolina, or, you know, tertiary markets, you know, things like, I don't know, Tampa, Florida, like where there's sort of population, but there's also good attractive cap rates. And we didn't have that in Australia. So the major thing for me was, was, was access to cash flow. And that is just was the biggest driver. And I remember buying my first property for 38,000 bucks in, in upstate New York because I could drive there, you know. So a lot of stuff said there, but, but yeah, the, the start of it was all about, and the differences is all about cash flow and access to information you know, for, for me being a sort of fresh-faced, bushy-eyed Australian coming uh, halfway across the world. So really to recapsulize that, in Australia, you're looking at more of an appreciation play. There's not much cash flow in it, but somewhere down the road, you're going to be able to sell for more than you bought for, Correct. Uh, whereas that was a completely different concept here. So take us down that road a little bit. I mean, what you know, what do you have to do when you're, I mean, you don't speak the language, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, you've, you're in a brand new country and you're tackling this thing called real estate. I mean, what is it that you're needing to do to differentiate, set yourself apart to get your first deal to get going? So the biggest thing for me was learning the language, right? Learning the investment language. I didn't even know what an LLC was. I didn't even know what cash on cash return meant. I didn't even know what a cap rate was. So for for me in my early days being in New York City was about surrounding myself with people who I aspired to be. That was the first thing. But then secondly was understanding the investment lingo. And again, that was different from me coming coming from Australia. And then third thing was was all about sort of access to financing and, and being fresh off the boat I didn't know what a you know credit score was. I didn't have any credit. <laughs> so trying right. to have to develop that from scratch was again a, a learning curve in in the total process of me understanding, you know, the US real estate market. So with that, I mean no credit, trying to figure that out. You mentioned your first deal was 38,000. Did you have a rich aunt? Were you able to creatively finance? I mean, how did that go down for you, Reed? Yeah, it was purely through saving money. You know, my background is in structural engineering. I went to university for structural engineering. I was able to save a bit of money prior to moving to the United States. And that was, it was all my cash. It was my, my life savings at that point at 20, I think it was 26, 27. So I, I, no one gave it to me. It was purely just saved from, from working a corporate job. And I could pay all cash for it, right? Like when I quickly realized that I couldn't get leverage, it was right. like, all right, I need, I need to pivot here. How do I go and get a, a deal done? my first deal, right? Because you don't get to deal number 10 without doing deal number one. And it was like, well, I could afford Syracuse, New York. What, what's so special about Syracuse? I could get to it on a four-hour bus ride <laughs> from New York right. City. 
It was cheap. It was, you know, I could use my money and it was my money, right? It was my money. If, if something went wrong, it was only my money that I was going to lose. And, and I was sort of at that stage of self-education for about, I've been, you know, at that point, I was about two and a half years of just educating myself. I just knew I had to dive off from the deep end and get that first deal done. And knowing that yeah, if I lost $38,000, yeah, it'd suck, but I wouldn't be on the street. You know what I mean? I'd still be able to have my job and, you know, keep a roof over my head and keep the bills paid. So right. when I was assessing all that quote unquote risk, I was, you know, I went and pulled the trigger and, and uh, took down my first little deal. So that was your first deal. What number was your last deal? What number is my last deal? Well, today we have about 3,000 units in the portfolio, about $450 million assets under management, and that's all in Central Texas and so not even anywhere near Syracuse, New York. But uh, right. and, I, and I don't own those properties anymore. I haven't owned them for many, many years. But um, And it's not all cash. And it's not <laughs> you, all cash. Exactly. You figured out how to do the leverage <laughs> thing, right? Exactly. I figured it out. So, so a few things have yeah. changed. But how did you get from... I mean, how did you scale from one all cash deal? Because that's, I mean, looking back on it, look, the tenacity was there, right? But knowing what you know now, that was not very sophisticated because there was no leverage. Mm-hmm. There was nothing creative about it, right? Your cash on cash was despicable compared mm-hmm. to what you're doing now, right? Because there was no leverage behind it. But how did that education come in and, and get you from there to where you're at today? I mean, what were some of the steps that you learned that brought you up that high? Well, first thing, and, and back to the power of that first deal, is proving to myself I could do it, right? There's one thing of moving halfway across the world to chase a girl and live in another city. There's another thing to be like, let's go do this. Let's go get get going towards the goal. And it was always, I always had it inside of me that I wanted to be my own boss. I just didn't know how to get there. And real estate was that vehicle, has been that vehicle to get me to leave my day job and now do this full time. But your question about how did I pivot, it was through again, going back to surrounding myself with certain different people. So I did two deals in upstate New York and I was about to do a flip in Philadelphia. At the end of 2013, I'm having a conversation with a very good friend of mine who came down from Canada, sitting at a bar at New York City. I remember it to this day and I'm boasting to him. I probably had, you know, I think I had like six or seven little units across, you know, two or three deals. And I'm saying, man, I'm, I'm crushing it, you know, doing all this, you know, all this cool stuff. Still have my day job, right? Still, you know, grinding away, not getting paid very much as an engineer in New York City. But he then said to me, oh, that's great, man. I, I just closed on a 70-unit deal. And I said, 70? Yeah, like seven zero. Like, yeah, 70. I was like, how the hell did you do that? And he's a guy that I was already a good friend of mine, but he then talk, went on to talk about other people's money. He went to talk on about getting a mentor. He went to talk about getting seller carryback financing, all these things that I was learning about in my education, but he'd gone and applied it on this huge scale, like tenfold, yeah. right? So yeah. now the bar is not down here. It is up here. And that's, again, another person that I, not that I, I didn't even know he was involved in real estate, but now there, there it is there. He's like, challenge, it's only like a challenge. Like, all right, here's Scott, good mate of mine. All right, Reed, I'm saying to myself in, in my head, if he can do it, why can't you do it? Right. And that was the start. That was the start of the, the spark with inside me to go. And then I went down the path of, I went and got a mentor. I went and then started my own podcast about, you know, investing here in the United States because I needed capital. I needed to raise capital from other people. And then through that mentor, I was able to co-GP on his deal. So I was able to raise money on his deals over a couple of years. And then I eventually started to go out on my own and I started looking at my own deals. And that was then led me into my first deal and then the second deal. And it's and, it, and this has happened over like periods of years. I'm talking, and, and for your listeners out there, it's not like it's happened overnight. It's a lot of hard work, a lot of sleepless nights, coupled on top of the fact that I needed a job 
to stay in this country, right? I wasn't I, was, I wasn't married at the time, right? I'm now married. And it's, so, you know, right. there's all these things happened and it was, I'm sort of summarizing it really quickly and we can dive into it. But another very important part of my journey was the realization that I, and that I had a skill set that I could go and take and use it in a corporate world. So I was an engineer. I moved to LA in 2014. And when in 2014, I said to myself, I don't want to be an engineer anymore. I want to be you know, what job can I go get that can make me the most amount of money for a W2 employee? I can still stay in the country and I can still keep learning. Why not? I've got a skill set. I can project manage. I can build stuff. Why don't I go work for a developer as an owner's representative? Huh. Okay. Well, let's reach out to a bunch of people. And coincidentally, they love the fact that I was an engineer. I'm detail oriented. I'm really good at math and I can manage projects. I came from that institutional world and I went and joined a developer and I, I helped him build close to 500 high-end luxury apartments in Long Beach, California over a period of about four years. So I was able to keep earning really good money, keep seeing how the big boys do it, these big developers go and build stuff from scratch and keep doing my deals on the side whilst learning at the same time. And the reason I say that's a really critical part is because there's probably people listening to this show today who have a skill set that could be transferable. And that, looking back on it, it was quite a very smart step. And I didn't make it thinking, you know, eight, nine years later, I'd be talking to you on a podcast about what I've built, but it was very, it was a critical stepping stone to get to where I am today. Well, and I think that's important because so many people that get into real estate leave a a career and a college degree behind. And it's nice to hear that you're actually using yours to some degree, right? (laughs) (laughs) You were able to use that and bring that into where you're at, not a, you know, medical examiner that's now in real estate or some of the other stories I've heard, right? But you know, one of the things that you that you brought up there in that whole thing was that there are steps, right? And that there it takes time. Just chronologically, you were talking about 2013, two foreigners walk into a bar, have a conversation, set the bar pretty high, right? I mean, there should have been maybe a Jewish guy in there or something. We got a really great joke, but <laughs> or a horse but, comes in, yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, a parrot on my shoulder, but But, you know, the reality is there were steps there. And a lot of people don't realize that, that there's a lot that goes on between this thing of starting in your in real estate and this overnight success that everybody looks at and goes, wow, Reed, you know, you've become successful in real estate. You've written books. I mean, you've done all these things that, wow, how did that happen? Well, it started back in 2009 when Mm -hmm. you came here and started looking at Syracuse, New York. And that story often gets forgotten and Mm -hmm. people don't realize that. You've been at this for 13 years. Right. And I'll add, when I picked out the book Rich Dad Poor Dad in 2009, it took me, I quit my corporate job in 2017. So it took me eight years to get to- To read that book? Yeah, exactly. 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 I'm just a super slow reader, right? But it took me me eight years to get to a point where I felt comfortable enough to say, I'm going to go out and do it on my own. Now, again, I had had green card and visa, visa issues. But that just how long it takes. And to your point, there's so many quote unquote overnight successes. It will take time. It's a marathon. Yeah. It's yeah. going to take, like, if you want to go become financially free, it ain't going to happen in 12 months. And if you think it's going to happen in 12 months and you get to the end of 12 months and it hasn't, well, the likelihood of you quitting is a lot higher. But if you set Absolutely. the expectation of it could take a decade, well, then, hey, you're going to be running that for, you're going to be running that race for a decade and give it, get, allow yourself to grow over a decade. And then at the end of a decade, if you haven't achieved it, well, I'm sure you've achieved a lot of other things along the way. Right. So it's all about the, the mindset on the front end. Well, and we often hear that, you know, you often overestimate what you'll get done in a, in a week, 
right? And underestimate what you would get done in 10 years. So looking back, Reed, you're, you're picking up that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. You're looking at that and you're going, gosh, if these concepts are true, I could do X. Mm-hmm. Are you further than X? I'm further than X. So that took you farther in that decade than you ever thought possible. Correct. Because yep. the light shines only as far as you can see. Right. right. Correct. And you can continue to go and you can continue to go and you can continue to grow. And, you know, that's where a lot of people, I mean, I think it's, I think the number is almost 90%. I know it's over 75% of realtors never actually do a transaction, right? They go to real estate school, they get their license, they're going to get involved in real estate. And then comes the part where you got to go do something with it, right? It's hard, right? It's hard. You've got to go talk to your friends and family. There's the term in real estate, the undercover agent, right? Nobody knows you're in real estate because you're afraid to tell everybody that's what you do for a living, right? And it's those kinds of things where a lot of people get beat up by themselves. They get knocked out of the box by themselves. How did you deal with that with your own self? I mean, here you are, you know, you, you've got to keep your day job in order to stay in, the, in this country. You know, you're trying to figure it out. You're working with the developer. Did you ever find that time in your life where you were sitting there going, man, I don't know if I'm going to make it? That never crossed my mind. I, if, wow. I'm being, if I'm being truly honest. Absolutely. If I'm being truly honest, the... I think it comes a little bit down to self-realization that, yeah, I'm not, I don't know everything. I don't, right. I don't pretend to know everything. I don't know. I don't ever want to know everything. And I always need to keep continue learning. That's why you got married. She knows everything. Just ask her. Exactly. She, when she comes home, she'll love to hear this story, you know, like. <laughs> yeah. No, she's not watching this podcast. She can't yeah. watch this podcast. <laughs> but but, but the, the big thing is, is when you can pick up the crumbs and they talk, talk about success leaves clues, when you can pick that up, and be grateful that, hey, this is a new opportunity. Like I remember in my engineering job going, I hate this freaking job. I freaking hate it. And it was one day that I thought, man, this could be a stepping stone into another career that you always want to get into. All right. of a sudden, my mindset's like, I love this job. Hey, yeah. who can I, what are the developers we're working with today that I could go email them? I got all their yeah. emails. I emailed them. All of a sudden, I had a job offer to go and pivot and jump to the ownership side. Right. And it's that those little times in life where they where you ah oh, bloody hell you know life's got me you know, I hate it it's crap whatever you know but you have to also realize what life is giving you in terms of clues to help you or steps to keep to get you to that next step and to your point earlier it's not about jumping to step twenty it's about right. just p- keeping the momentum moving forward slowly so if you are a realtor you know, you got your license. Well, what's the next step? Right. I remember talking to my my friends and family about the fact that I'm a real a real estate investor. They're like, what? You what? You're an engineer. No, you're not. You're in this box and you'll stay there. Well, it took me 20 times to tell them, no, this is what I'm doing and, and take me seriously because in the beginning, people didn't take me seriously. Right. And that can chip away at your, your confidence and your ego and all that sort of stuff. But knowing that you have the wherewithal to, to keep pushing forward the resilience to keep pushing forward, knowing that, you know, I always think about my 65-year-old self won't hate me for the decisions I've made today. And if you right. can if you can think about it like that, then that's all that matters. I agree with it. so many people, and I, as I go down this path, we're all fearful of the unknown, right? The fearful of what happens if this doesn't work? What happens if I fail? Well, you've learned a bunch of stuff along the way. If that's the worst thing that can happen, if that, for me, if, if I was to lose my $38,000 and that's the worst thing that can happen and I had to move back to Australia to my family and get another engineering job, well, that's the worst thing that can happen. A ton of people out there would love that life. So yeah. be grateful and go and take the opportunity that's been handed to you, right? So yeah. 
it's about the mindset and how you change the way you approach challenges and you approach risk. And when you can get comfortable with what's on the other side of that door, then you're going to walk through that door nine times out of 10. And, you know, that's, that's really true. And, you know, one of the things that I do is instead of asking, you know, everybody says, well, how, you know, you got to have a big why. Mm-hmm. I don't buy that. I just have a big, why not? I mean, tell me why not, right? Read, exactly. you should buy that apartment complex. Sure, why not? Yeah. Well, because we don't have any money, but we can find that, can you know? And you start, it just, it completely changes your thought process and your mindset of trying to go, well, we need to buy it. Well, we can't. Well, why not? Mm. You know, and now you're thinking about solutions and you're completely solution-based in your thought process instead of going, yeah, yeah, you're right. We can't because we're just two foreigners in a bar in New York, Right. And so there's, but it's so much about mindset. And I really love the fact that, uh, Reed, you say that honestly, that you, you, it never crossed your mind. And I think that you'll find that that is one of the clues to successful people is they never let themselves doubt to the point that they ever think that they can't. They always know that they can. Might take a little bit longer, might be, you know, 10 years instead of two years, but they never think that they can't because we've all seen the other guys that do succeed. They're, they're not that much different than you and I. No. And it's about the probably the only other thing that I'll add to that is grinding, right? And, and yeah. grinding in a way that I don't want to, you know, the, this hustling and all that sort of stuff, because there, there is a point where you can get burnout. And I don't, you know, we're putting that over there. I'm just talking about the the getting back on up on the horse, the, the not being afraid to roll up the sleeves and get a little dirty. That's the type of grind I'm talking about. There's obviously yeah. balance and everything, but it is like, don't get me wrong. There's been times when back when I had my full-time job and I was like, oh God, this is so much work. But little things that I would realize, hey, is there a process in what I'm trying to do, whether it be looking at new deals or finding deals or underwriting deals that I could outsource to someone else because I just don't have the time or the energy because I am working full time and I got got the misses and trying to keep you know healthy and, and get enough sleep and all that sort of stuff. Can I outsource that for 20 bucks an hour? I know that I'm worth more than 20 bucks an hour. Well, all right, we'll go off and do that. And, and that's the little things that help again, to those stepping stones, help create procedures, help create, create systems that will put you in good stead for, for years coming, you know, later down the line that will make you ultimately successful. So, yeah. Well, and you know, that's really the thing that, you know, I think you also see that successful people do is they don't try and do it all themselves. Right. You have to have an understanding of what happens, right? But you want to see some funny stuff happen, watch a, a non-numeric person try and balance a checkbook. <laughs> watch, watch an engineer try and put something together quickly. Right. You know, we've all got our process and understanding where you fit in that and doing what you're great at and outsourcing with pride the the pieces that don't really go with you. I think that takes a bit of maturity. And like you mentioned earlier in the podcast, self-realization. Mm-hmm. Look, I mean, it's funny, but when my wife sees me get out the, the tools, she knows to get 911 <laughs> on speed dial. Right. <laughs> And here I am a general contractor, right? We've been doing this for 27 years, building things. So, so there's a lot to be said for that self-realization. But when you look back on it, Reed, and you look at the fact that obviously your wife and the people you surround yourself are some of the biggest key factors to your success, what does it really mean to build the team mm-hmm. that makes Reed successful? I mean, you're the face. Yep. What does the team look like? I think you mentioned a really important person in there and it's, and it's your partner, right? You, I think it starts when, when I first started on this entrepreneurial journey. I know Erica at the time was, was obviously my girlfriend. She probably didn't understand it. Right? She didn't, nor, nor did my friends or my family, but they supported me. They said, hey, yeah, if you want to go do it, go do it. Well, I don't understand it, but I'll go do it. 
and that's that helps, man. You know, having I'm sure there's people in again listening to this podcast who have the friends, the family, the girlfriend, the boyfriend who are doubting them. We never want doubt. There's, there's maybe some uncertainty, but there's never doubt. So I never had doubt when I was going through this process, and even to this day, like my wife is is my biggest rock and you know reflector of when things when my chips are down. Right, that's why you choose a partner in life. When your chips are down, you want someone to there to protect you from the world for a little bit, right? And and that's. Right. I've been in those situations. We all have, and I'll, I'll be in them in the future. Like, but it starts there. In terms of how I went and grew the team, like the first person I hired was an undergrad from USC for 15 bucks an hour to underwrite deals for me. And, and I taught them my little process that I'd figured out. And this is back in, I think it was back in 14 as well when I first moved to LA, knowing that I had a full-time job, knowing I couldn't get to underwrite all the deals that I'm seeing the brokers send me, I just didn't have the time or the energy to go do that. So, okay, we'll go hire someone for 15 bucks an hour. If they get through four deals a week, well, it's four more deals than I don't have to get through, right? Next right. thing I started hiring, you know, little things like the website designer. Like I, I remember trying to do a Wix website back in the day and looking absolutely shocking, right? Like, like what the hell am I doing? You know, right? yeah. and, it's, yeah. and so, again, pay, investing in yourself. And it, that, that there, the investment in oneself, the investment in your business is a subconscious proof that you are worth it and you will not give up. Right. If you go say, okay, I'm going to spend five thousand dollars on a website, or twenty bucks an hour on this person to help me underwrite deals, or learn something, or be be another spoke to my wheel, that is betting on yourself. That's your betting that this is going to work out. And so these little, again, back to the steps, these little crumbs help you build to what I've got today, which is a business partner. I have full-time employees. I have you know, professional property management that does all the, the, on-site, the daily on-site management of the asset. I've got an incredibly good uh, general contracting team that I you know, outsource all my stuff through. I, I, I supply stuff from the Asian markets in terms of flooring, hardware, you know, lighting, granite. I've only got another team member who's, who's a part of that. So building it from the infancy that it was into what it is today, and it will be different in 10 years' time, yeah. is, is the evolution of what we do as entrepreneurs. And that is, that is what keeps me going. I'm curious about different things in the process, and I also am self-aware enough that I don't have to figure it all out at once or I can have other people do it for me. So, so yeah. You know, Reed, and now that you're farther along than you ever thought you were going to be, and I don't know that maybe you envisioned having employees, you know, maybe they were a thought process of, oh, yeah, someday I'll have employees. But actually knowing what those employees were going to do probably wasn't in your first first thoughts back in 2014. But where do you see yourself in 10 years from now? Mm, I get that question a lot. And the answer is, I don't know. And that's okay. Right? So nothing's because, changed what, because you didn't know then. Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's the beauty of it, right? That's the beauty of it. I didn't know 10 years ago I'd be sitting here talking about, you know, systems and all that sort of stuff. And we have, we're so focused as human beings on goals because goals have time, right? And the biggest thing that I can allow myself is time to enjoy the journey. And when I let go of what's going to happen in 10 years, because the last 10 years have been freaking awesome, I know the next 10 years are going to be even better. And when you have that mindset to approach like that and let and, and give yourself permission to, you still want to be progressing forward and moving the ball down the fairway. That's completely true, but also reflecting on the journey that has come and know that I have it within me to go and do whatever I set my mind to. You know, if I'm being, if I'm going to be really honest, I'll probably be in some sort of 
you know, private equity type of role where I'm, I'm supporting young guys like myself to go out and find deals for me. And I'll be probably doing it across multiple countries because I'm from Australia. So we'll look at back in Australia, I'll keep doing it here in America, but it'd be some role that I wouldn't be as active in the day-to-day business of building and more of the, you know, control of equity and, and placing capital into really, really good deals. You know, I, I interviewed uh, Rachel Richards, who wrote a book, you know, Money, Honey, and she never made, her and her husband, when they were building their business, they never made more than $35,000 a year, I believe is the story. But but she always wrote goals and she brought a concept that I hadn't heard before, but she never completed all of her goals in a year. Mm. And I thought, well, either you don't try very hard, but obviously at the at the time she'd gone from, you know, zero to retired and by before 27. So she obviously did do that. But her concept was to provide more goals than we're able to accomplish so that you were constantly striving and getting to the end of the year and going, wow, I checked off 113. No, I didn't get to the 196, but I got a lot of stuff done. Kind of that same concept of how we spend time, right? I mean, if you have three days to do the job, it's going to take three days. If you got 30 minutes, might not be as pretty, but it'll get done, right? Right. And so that's, that's exactly right. Seeing how you've done that and putting those systems together you know, you're constantly, it sounds like you're constantly improving that system. You're constantly building on that system. You're constantly integrating more and more systems into your, the read system, if you will. What do you see in the next two years for yourself? Where do you see your companies growing at that point? I think in being allowing, so I'm still very much, and I have this tendency, and I, again, I know I am, is to be a bit of a bottleneck because I want to control everything and I want to prove to my investors that I've you know done right by them. But I'm starting to change into now we've got a couple of runs on the board and exit some big deals and give them back, you know, really good returns that I can be more confident in my own skin. Thus, I need to start being more in the CEO role and learning to delegate more. So the next two years, it's be about bringing more people into the team that I know that can protect me in my blind spots and I know what they yeah. are and making sure that I'm, I'm setting up a ship to sail indefinitely, even if I was to step aside, right? Like that's, that's the goal here, right? It's not, it isn't to be the captain forever. <laughs> it right. is to eventually get to a point where you have your subordinates take over the ship and you can, you know, go do something else. I don't know. Well, isn't that really read the, the true measure of how good your system is, is if it operates without you. If you, if you truly become unnecessary, I think that that says everything about how you set up your system and, and how you've really got it dialed in because now you've envisioned it, but you've broken it up so that it functions day in, day out with or without you. Correct. Um, that's, that's exactly right. And, and, I, and I'm slowly learning that skill. Like most solar entrepreneurs, when you start something, it's your baby, you want to control every aspect of it. You know, you know this as well as I do. You've done every aspect of the business, and, yeah. you know, but that helps you know what you want to hire for. So I actually talk a little bit, a lot about, I try and do this every six months. I talk about black time, blue time, red time, and green time. And black time being like that CEO type of time. And I need to allow myself to live in that time more. But when you're starting a business, you're probably going to be in a bit of the red, a bit of the, the blue. And, you know, you've got to grind and do the things you don't like to do, like administration stuff or, you know, think the blue time, like uh, the, the conveyor belt in the factory that's making the widget. Like you don't need to be on the conveyor belt, but as I grow, those things, I can spend more, less time in the red and the blue and more time in the black to focus on, again, where, where the North Star is for you know, the business and for myself. But when you, are, when you get started, it's all about you're doing everything, right? You don't oh, have yeah. enough mental time to stop and say, where am I headed now? 
Like what ways? But you definitely, going? you definitely wind up black and blue and in the red. That's for sure. I mean, <laughs> you know, I don't know about black time or blue time, but you know, I definitely know that there are different roles, and I know that. You know, yeah, being able to separate that out, you know, as we've all evolved, we learn from that and we we learn what we're good at. Unfortunately, we see people, we've seen, you know, fellow operators that aren't able to see their blind spots, that aren't able to function as a CEO. And that usually doesn't go well. No, it doesn't. It does come back to, to self-realization. Like, and, and, no, right. and, and back to what we said earlier in the, the show is like knowing where you're weak at. And yeah. Because you have an ego and you think you can do everything. Well, you can't do everything. It's just impossible. Yeah. We're only human. Well, and, we're, we're and robots. yeah, nor do you want to, you right. know, and that's where I think that, you know, there are some people that they want to be in the middle of it all the time and that can be disastrous for your business. Right. So, it can be. you know, Reed, before we close this out, I just want to have you tell our listeners where they can find you at and where's the best way to get some more information on you, where your books are, those kinds of things. Sure. Yeah. Easiest way is head over to readgoosens.com. That's R-E-E-D-G-O-O-S-S-E-N-S.com. Podcast is there. The books are there. And if you're ever coming through LA, and I'll offer this to people, I usually do, is you want to go for a coffee or a beer or whatever, and you want to talk real estate, hit me up at info. That's I-N-F-O at readgoosens.com. Just give me a little bit of a few weeks heads up if you're coming through and we'll try and get something on the calendar. Awesome. Well, guys, you can find Reed on LinkedIn and Instagram and all the other places as well. But Reed, I want to thank you for being with us today. And thank you all for tuning into the Real Estate Rundown. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe to the Real Estate Rundown on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts to get our automatic updates. You'll also find us on Instagram and YouTube. Leave us a review. I'd love to hear back from you. And Reed, thanks again for stopping by. Mate, thank you so much for your time. That's a wrap for today's episode of The Real Estate Rundown. Let these newfound strategies pave the way to start a successful career or a profound rebranding. If you loved everything you have heard, listen to more conversations at www.shannonrobnett.com. And be sure to leave a rating, share it with your friends, and subscribe. Until the next episode.